Don't call it a comeback. Uh, well, I guess you can because we were gone and now we're back. But I wasn't really gone, not from podcasting. Uh, the reason why the Call to Arms pod took a little bit of a break was because uh, I went ahead and was part of an incredible podcast project that if you haven't listened to yet, please take the time to do so. It is called Hoops Paradise, the Philippines Love of the Game, presented by iHeart Media and the NBA. It's with myself and ESPNs and the Philippines' own Miss Cassidy Hubberth. It's a six-episode narrative podcast, so please do take the time to listen to that if you haven't yet. If you have already, thumbs up. Great. Appreciate it. Welcome back to our feed. The Call to Arms podcast is back. You can expect regular episodes now moving forward, and it starts off with just an absolute dream. This was a dream. When myself and the Amigo uh, started the podcast years ago, this person's name was one of the names we threw around just like as a joke. Like, hey, imagine if our podcast got so good we got Doris Brick. And then we found it hilarious because we thought it would never happen. Well, it's happening right now. And that's what you're going to hear for the next hour. So thank you to Cassidy who uh, arranged for uh, this to happen. Let's get right to it. The pod, as always, is produced and made possible by the amigo Toby from HR. Man, I miss him. Original art, as always, directed and supervised by Alan Martin. This pod is presented by Slam Philippines and by Titan. Listen in on the pod for something fun for you. My name is Nico Ramos, and this is the return, ladies and gentlemen. Of a call to arms podcast. Something going on around the islands. Money flowing wherever I've been promised. Just another vacuum in the tropics. Taking over, trying to stop this novice. Make it killing. I'm finna conquer. I'm a dreamer. The floor is lava. Something going on around the islands. Straight fire when we vibe and promise. Ladies and gentlemen, the podcast comes back after a hiatus due to us making another podcast, which I guess is giving birth to this episode. I took a break from this podcast to do um, the project with Cassidy Hubberth, which was Hoops Paradise, the Philippines' love of the game. I have since cashed in every possible friend favor from Miss Cassidy Hubberth uh, for her to link and connect us to... I'm not exaggerating when I say this. One of the reasons why this podcast was was put up in the pandemic, like 90% of all podcasts in the world, was to have a blue skies dream of people to interview. Never thought she'd come on, but she's here right now. Who knows at one point in this next hour, I'm going to just absolutely lose my mind. But the one, the only, the <laughs> Hall of Famer, Miss Doris Burke, is on the pod. Thank you so much for doing this, Doris. Thank you for having me. And it sounds like we are president and vice president of the Cassidy Hubbard fan club. Uh, so she has uh, explained to me quite often, to be honest with you, Nico, the, the love of the game uh, in the Philippines. And anybody who's passionate about the game means that I would love to talk hoops with them. So I'm delighted to be here. The funny thing is, back in June, myself and um, my teammates from Slam Philippines we flew over to Boston for games three and four of the NBA Finals. It was while I'd been blessed to have been able to cover many NBA events from regular season games, mostly all-star games and exhibitions. Uh, that was my first time at the Finals. And first time at the Finals in the city of Boston um, when they were chanting their um, affection 
for Draymond Green. Um, it's it, it's an experience. And, th- and then Steph Curry goes off in game four, in which is a near religious experience. And all of that could not trump me after the game, walking down uh, to the floor, seeing you packing up your bag, me mustering every ounce of courage I had in me to come up to you and introduce myself. And as soon as I said, hi, my name is Nico. I'm from the Philippines. You immediately lit up and went on like at least a three minute love letter towards, I guess, our common denominator, Cassidy Hubbard. Yeah. She's such a special person. And um, it's been a privilege for me over the last several years, just because she and I have worked together a number of times and, you know, you know how this is when you work with people side by side every day, you get to know them, you get to know their experience, um, their passions. And I don't know um, that I work with a more passionate basketball fan than Cassie Hubbard. And that's saying something. I mean, you know, you, you've got guys who've coached in the league, Jeff and Mark. You, you've got Mike Green, who has become synonymous with NBA basketball as the voice for many generations of champions. And um, I think it's the privilege of working at ESPN as you are surrounded every day with talented, passionate, smart people who do nothing but lift you up and inspire you. And uh, and it's just been a privilege for me to get to know Cass. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah, I mean, I'm such a massive fan. Um, obviously, getting to know her a lot better through our project with the NBA and iHeart on the Philippines' love of the game. Um, yeah. But, but the, the funny thing is, and, you know, I keep teasing her about this. I was like, Cass, anytime I'm talking to you, you find a way to talk about Doris, which I have no problem with because I'm a massive Doris fan. And the one conversation I have with Doris Burke, she just goes on and on about you. And I was like, how do I get in on this friendship? Because these are two of my favorite people in the world. <laughs> you're you're in now. The only thing separating us is miles. <laughs> I'm on my way. I'm booking my flight. I'm 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 on my way. Um, I hope though, because this is it's March the thirtieth. We're recording this. Um, it's uh, coming up to the end of Women's Month. Uh, in in my day job as part of the team over at Titan, we're a basketball company. We're a retailer. We're, we're a basketball collective. Among other things, we publish Slam in the Philippines. Uh, we've been celebrating and kind of really trying our best to elevate the, the female perspective um, of basketball through our Show Her Love campaign. And this is going to figure as a nice, perfect culmination of that. Um, but I, I hope you don't mind. I take it as an opportunity. As much as I love your work, as much as I love Cassidy's work, you guys alternate as number two on three as far as sideline reporters in my heart because my wife is a former sideline reporter who used to cover college basketball. And you've just made me a hero to her. Um, you've just made me cool again to my wife uh, because <laughs> this is this is just you are her hero. Uh, I, I think that that's by no exaggeration. And I say all that to say, is there any inkling from you, the impact you have, you know, for Filipino fans uh, and how much you would be a, I don't know, Justin Bieber level superstar if you ever you decided to visit the Philippines? Does that even register at all? No. And so, you know, it's funny. I, I saw a clip that Cassidy put out and uh, it was with Eric Spolstra, obviously. And he was sort of talking about 
their visit and how passionate and how they he you could just tell in the interview that she did with him that he was completely overwhelmed and when somebody smiles ear to ear you feel it from the bottom of their soul and that was eric spolstra and um and so this is what i'm talking about about the game of basketball to me it's a game that gets in your soul i don't care you know race creed color country a gender uh name it name it if if you put a ball in our hands and put us in a gym we may not speak the language but we speak the language of basketball mm. it's about putting the ball in the hoop it's about being in that gym I've said this often. All of us in life have challenges, right? You have ups and downs. You have you have the disappointments. You may disappoint yourself. Somebody in your life may disappoint you. I've said this my whole life. Because, Nico, I picked the ball up when I was seven years old. I'm the last of eight children. Come from very poor background. My dad worked for the same construction company for like 50 years. Money was tight. Stress was high. But when I was seven years old, we moved from New York to New Jersey. We happened to move right next door to a park. The prior owner had left a ball in the yard. I picked that ball up when I was seven years old, and I haven't put it down since. It provided me an education my family could not have afforded. And now it provides for me an opportunity to work at a, in an industry that is just so passionate. So if I ever did have the opportunity to visit, I would eat up the fact that the country and the people are so passionate about a sport that has literally shaped my life since I was seven years of age. We would have to disguise you, though. I, I hope you understand. <laughs> yeah. That's not an exaggeration. Like, Cassidy always thinks that I'm joking around when I say this. I was like, the Spo story is not ex- exclusive to Spo. And yeah. that was that was pre-him, you know, becoming, you know, GQ Spo. I always say he is the right. he is the epitome of how good looking a Filipino man could be because he's. <laughs> I agree. In, in tremendous shape. I was like, come on, why'd you have to do that? That's now the world expectation of what Filipino men should look like. Like, oh, Eric Spolstra. I was like, no, only he looks like that. But the um, level the level of of love that, that we have for for yourself uh, over here. Yeah, I'm wearing I'm wearing a I'm wearing a Doris I, Burke T-shirt. I love, I love that. I love. Uh, <laughs> and and anytime anytime I wear this out, I have people come up to me and ask, "Where wait, where'd you get that? Hey, where'd you get that? I need to get that." So um, yeah, so uh, one day when when you do visit, and you know, I will move mountains in order for you to hopefully one day be able to feel our country's love for basketball. I I hope you know to bring a wig okay. and one of those glasses with a fake mustache on it because that's what we'll need. To, I don't to get I don't around. know that I'm. But I trust you. <laughs> That's it, it's an incredible story that that you share. Um, and you know, I was I was reading about uh, as well about you know this serendipitous accident, right? Of uh, you moving into a new house, the youngest of eight siblings. There's a basketball there. First of all, the fact that the seven older siblings don't get to the basketball first. Um, yeah, I'm the oldest of four. I've always thought that there were a lot of us, right? But I think that that in itself is a little miracle because there's a there's a free toy out there and the youngest one gets to it first. That almost never happens. It's true. And it's funny because I think ultimately they were put to work. And my mother sort of looked at me at that point and said, well, let me guess, a seven-year-old little girl who's a total tomboy already at age seven, there is no shot this young lady is going to help me move. The best thing I could do is 
put this ball in her hands and send her next door so she stays out of the way and doesn't get run over. Because I, I have four brothers, uh, one of whom has passed, but four brothers, three sisters. And the, the brothers used to joke, well, really, we have four and a half because she's such a tomboy. <laughs> <laughs> High school, you're a thousand point score. College, you're a thousand point score. Don't, don't, don't get it twisted. Um, if you haven't, if you haven't looked up, uh, if you haven't looked up the the Doris Burke stats, I mean, take that for data. Um, and <laughs> in, in, in the wise, in the wise words of Coach Fizz. Um, but I, I was, I was listening to you and your conversation with with Duncan Robinson, who's an all world shooter, and you were lamenting about the fact that you, in your words, did not have a shooting touch. Which Correct. I find hard to believe because you describe defenses as sagging on you all the time, and yet you still put up all the totals. So it's either yeah. of two things, Miss Burke. It's either of two things. It's either you're downplaying how bad of a shooter you were, and you actually had a little bit of a jumper, or there's some LeBron James level penetration here of you just being <laughs> absolutely ruthless attacking the basket. One of those things has to be true, and I'm dying to know which one is it. So the truth is, I, I had very, as I do take shots at my shooting because that's true. But I also had an elite handle. I knew how to change pace. I could go left, I could go right. I always played for coaches who let me run and get out in transition so I could beat a lot of people up the floor. Here's the crazy part about this. And hopefully, you know, your listeners can, you know, because we all have moments of insecurity and, and, and it's really like one defining moment that I allowed to affect my mind for such a long time as it relates to shooting. And it's my freshman year of high school, Nico, and I get called up to play on the varsity for the first time. It's like November, so it's early in the season. And the coach puts me in the game. It's this big Christmas-type tournament, um, so it might have been early December. But anyway, it was at the place, Wall High School. I remember where it was. Mm. And the team kept conceding because I'm a freshman. And they're like, not going to let the seniors and all upperclassmen shoot. So they gave me a cushion at the free throw line. They let me shoot jumper after jumper. And I missed four or five in my first high school varsity game. So that played with my head a little bit. And then I very quickly realized, well, that's fine. You can, you can give me that jump shot, but I'm good enough to get past you even with that. Mm. And that's why having the tight handle and, you know, I, I, I feel like I sound a little bit um, arrogant here. Like I picked up the ball at seven. I played it from that time forward. I watched it all the time on TV. Um, when you do that, when you do something so young, you have a nuanced understanding of it than say somebody who takes, takes the game up later. Like I played golf when I, after I was graduated. So like 23, 24, my son's played it since he was seven. Well, he thinks about shots and shapes stuff and does things on the golf course mm -hmm. that I would never think of because the nuance has been there from the time he was this big. So it's just different. But I'm telling you the truth. I spent my entire career in college wishing I had a jump shot to, to match my dribble drive ability. See, you think that you might be speaking a little too arrogantly. I think you don't give yourself enough credit because as someone who picked up the ball at younger than seven years old and watched basketball obsessively, yeah. Yeah. I, I had none of it. Not the handle, not the <laughs> shot, not, not, not none of it. I remember my moment was I was on, I was on the, uh, the varsity team as a, as a junior in, in, in high school 
playing yeah. behind playing behind a sophomore, which was tough enough as it was. Absolutely. But it's okay. I was like, you know what? It's okay. Um, I'm bringing the ball down. I sub in. I'm bringing the ball down. And I hear the opposing coach yell, box, box to his defense. And I'm like, yeah. I was like, oh, they're going to box in one me. I was like, this is incredibly flattering. Who are you going <laughs> to send? Who are you going to send? Bring him on. Box in one me. Turns out. He was yelling to his team to box out because they were going to let me shoot. Oh. And that has stuck with me since because anytime I look like I'm going to like pick the ball up for a jump shot, if I see opponents and teammates all rushing to the basket, well, I'm like, well, thanks for the confidence, guys. Oh, that's brutal. Isn't it amazing how powerful those memories are as a kid? Oh, I know exactly what that coach looks like. I know exactly what color shoes he was wearing and the tone of his voice when he was yelling box. It was a transformative moment for me. I, I had all the confidence in the world for 10 seconds before I yep. realized what he actually meant. And then after that, I was like, is it too late for volleyball? I mean. Oh, those two things are so 180 degrees from one another. Box in one versus this guy. He's dangerous versus box out the brick master is coming yeah yeah, yeah. Well, box out here comes your chance to pile on the boards um if i'm your rec league point guard i don't think you're upset if i'm your sunday church league point guard at the same time you're not saying no if someone comes in mid-season and goes hey do you guys you guys, Dude, you guys need at- another one and they're like yeah, yeah sure i mean yeah but enough <laughs> Enough about me. Um, you were for for those who are listening to this right now. You had just come off of covering the Wolves and the Suns in what was an in, an incredible playoff atmosphere yeah. game. Um, it is late in the evening there. I cannot stress to you how grateful I am to you for for staying up. I feel like I was just literally watching you on TV, uh, and now and now you're speaking to us right after the game. I curious as someone who does play-by-play um speaking to someone who jeff van gundy calls and i agree with him the lebron james of of covering basketball of of being a basketball broadcaster what's the prep look like for you in the most practical terms what's the what does the cheat sheet look like what does the 24 hours before the game look like i'm diving into the nerdy stuff right here yeah no problem so i mean as soon as the season starts really my days have a very similar rhythm Mm. i start the day i get one email and under that email cover is all 30 teams and the articles written about them in their respective local markets so that's the first thing i do Um, in the middle of the day i'll go about my own business that needs to be taken care of but as soon as six o'clock or 6 30 comes I'm in front of the TV and I'm either watching SportsCenter because I know they're going to have some stories or I'm watching NBA TV. And then I I literally have this iPad and I have that on my uh, on my lap and then I have a game on my TV. And depending on who's on my schedule, I'll hone into one or the other. Mm. Uh, um, And so I'm watching two games a night, generally speaking, one in the East Coast time, one in the West Coast. I don't ever make it through to the second half of the West Coast team. If it's something I need to see, I can go back on second spectrum and watch that in the morning. But that's the rhythm. If I don't, if I'm not calling a game that night, I am after having spent time in the morning reading, prepping, going over stats and notes and doing all those things. And then day of the game, 
you know, Cassidy and I are going to both shoot arounds. We're talking to players. We're talking to coaches. We'll have a pregame meeting with the coaches about an hour and 15 and an hour and a half before you get like 10 minutes with each coach, kind of fire questions at them. And then you call the games. And for me, it's really the most important thing I do, Nico, is I watch the games. Mm. And that's not work to me, right? I'm, I'm trying to pick up tendencies, substitutions, rotation patterns. What are they running after timeouts? Um, what are they running late game? Um, but there is a real rhythm to my preparation. It's so poignant that you say the one thing about you is that you watch the games because I think it is so easy to not watch the games. Um, I think that whether it's someone in, in your position covering the, the NBA at the highest level or someone, you know, in, in my position, I do play-by-play for the for the college league here in here in the Philippines. And I've worked with people who are obsessive about their preparation. I worked with people who are not as obsessive with their preparation. I myself have oscillated in the past in my maturity. I used to go from, I'm pretty talented, I can wing this, to very, very quickly realizing that there is a stark difference for the people who know and who understand between someone who is well-prepared and who someone who thinks that they're prepared um and watching the games is the one thing that obviously is most time consuming but also on the surface seems skippable because i can watch the highlights i can read the articles i can listen to the podcast there is someone like doris burke out there whose opinion that i trust whose opinion i can mirror or glean off of um that's something that i think that people maybe underestimate um when you want to have a true knowledge of this league that we love it's because it's 30 teams playing sometimes 10 games a night and it's not it's not a joke it's a lot of games and they come in in rapid succession and um you know listen I, i had a coach tell me something that i thought was absolutely fascinating this year and and they started a year ago it was joe mazula Mm. And uh, the same thing Will Hardy does. When they were on staff for the Boston Celtics last year, they had their video guy clip off the final five minutes of every possession ball game. So those clutch time games within five in the final five. And they watched. And he said it is one of the most valuable exercises he does. What... I don't necessarily have time for that. And and think about it, Nico. It's going to take me more time than, say, a Jeff Van Gundy. I watched Jeff Van Gundy coach USA basketball. Mm. I went down to Houston. I watched him run his practice for three days. The, the amazing thing about Jeff is Jeff can see all 10 players on the floor for the full 24 seconds and regurgitate it back. He might call, call all 10 guys in and say – you know, hey, you were here, bottom side, you needed to be top side, you know, whatever. It's because Jeff has coached at the NBA level. Right. So I would say it should be very individually based. What may take Jeff one viewing might take me hitting the rewind button six times to to widen out my view. Um, and so I think different people, different different. You know, not that Jeff, because Jeff obviously is, in my estimation, the best broadcaster here. Um, and and this is something you know, Nico, because you you now do the trade. There's an art to broadcasting. There is. There's there's a cadence to what you do. There is. Can you do you have the ability to pull your analyst in? 
Are you directing that broadcast where it needs to go? Um, you know, there, there's, and philosophically, what's your philosophy about it? You know, do you, do you believe in the course of a game you should be? I think fans were upset for a brief time tonight on Minnesota versus Phoenix because we took a good three or four minutes of game time to discuss all NBA teams and the MVP and the fact that the league does not clearly define a player must play 55, 60, 65 to be the MVP. Mm. And some fans would get angry at that and say, you're wasting my time. I'm tuning in to see Minnesota Phoenix. But as a broadcast team, as we wind down the season, we believe that was important. And so, you know, I just I, I find this kind of discussion interesting because not only does basketball fascinate me, but the art of broadcasting fascinates me as well. Yeah, I, I feel extra validated because anytime I've waxed near too poetic about what it is that we do in, in a vacuum, you're talking while much more talented people are playing a game, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> that is such a good point. In, in a, if an alien arrived and kind of just landed there, you know, at the arena while the Suns and, and the Wolves were playing, and kind of sat next to you, it would be a very, very strange sight and a difficult <laughs> thing to explain. Um, I have an 18-month-year-old child, so I still don't know how to explain to him what I do when that time comes. But... I take it extremely seriously. Um, too seriously, maybe. Um, and you know, my my wife because she's she's done the job as well. She was a sideline reporter. Um, she is a professional broadcaster by trade. She's the I, I guess the one person in in my life who can see immediately when I get home. I'm on Twitter and people are telling me, hey, good game. My family is telling me, hey, of course, good job. My friends who love me, they say, oh, you're so good. I come home, I feel completely defeated because I miscalled something at the six-minute mark or the third quarter, oh, yeah. and, and it's going to hang over me for the next two weeks, and, and, and I can't shake yeah. it off. And I'm like, okay, this is a little exaggerated, but hearing you speak about it actually really validates me, so thanks for that. That's, that is great, though. See, to me, the fact that you just said that means that you're pursuing greatness. And you, you, I know that feeling. Sometimes I listen back to things I say, and I I just, the sound of my oh, own voice. Oh, it's the worst. Oh, it's the worst. And then you just go, you know, and I'll give an example. I, I We were talking about Ben Simmons, right? Mm. And, you know, Ben had come back. And he wasn't playing very well. And I said on the air, I find it sad that he's not able. And I just didn't like the way I phrased it. Mm. And I beat myself up over it. And I, I, I remember hitting the talk back. And, and for your listeners, you know, the talk back is our ability at a broadcast table to talk to the truck without the audience at home hearing it. And I hit the talk back button, Miko, and I said, am I being too harsh on Ben? Because these are human beings at the end of the day. And some of our job is about criticism, not very much of it, but some of it. You know, we're, we're required to offer an opinion. And in fact, that's part of why we're paid is to have an opinion. And I, I don't like, you, you know, I, I think ultimately we all want to celebrate the game. But there are moments where you have to step outside that and talk about hard things. 
And I think part of my paranoia is a little bit about I'm still a woman calling a game that I have never coached. Well, I've coached it, but you know what I mean? I've never Mm. played in the NBA, obviously. I've never coached in the NBA, obviously. So I always have that sort of little bit of insecurity in the back of my mind. You know what I mean? And it's something that really there's a small, 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 small group of people who can tell you and who you will listen to when they tell you you're actually wrong about that or you're actually right about feeling that way. Um, And, you know, it's it's strange. It's not to, again, not to overcomplicate or, you know, add unnecessary importance to what it is that we do. Lord knows there's easily 500 more important professions um, than than what we do. But um, I, I think that that's what really separates the great ones um, from from the people who are able to do it. Uh, I describe our job as not that difficult, but also at the same time, nowhere near easy. I always yeah. listen for Hey Now. Um, and I always uh, I always listen for for when you say, come on now, um, because <laughs> w- when I hear Doris Burke say, come on now. That for me is like Steph Curry's third three. Uh, that for me is like Chris Paul's third straight mid-range jumper off of a drop coverage. I'm like, oh, yeah. she's oh, she's rolling now. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Doris, Doris just let out a come on now. We're we're into this now. Like she's she's in she's in a groove now. And there's a zone for athletes. There's a zone for broadcasters as well. And I feel like you are able to find that zone on command. There's there's a point in each game where watching you and listening to you and I think why you're so beloved is because it really feels like you're a hundred percent into the game and you're in your personal rhythm and you're so comfortable and you make your audience so comfortable that is such a difficult thing to do game in and game out the volume of games that you do and I don't know how you do it oh you're a sweetheart thank you very much it's funny and I say this to my daughter you know there's times where I'll get off the air and I might and it's not often, but there's some nights I struggle, and but there are other nights where I'll get off the air and I'll just, and again I feel funny saying this, but sometimes I'll just get off the air and I was I, like, honey, I was good tonight, and that felt really good. It felt really good. Like come on when now. You've worked, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> when you've worked really hard to prepare, and you know I've been at it a long time, and and so you do know the difference between when you've done something well or not, or you feel like you hit the stories, and listen, like you know we we're 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 watching the best athletes in the world, who have for the most part I know there's some exceptions, but these men take pride in the craft, and I know the work, you know Chris Paul gets that mid range, at whenever he wants. And he gets to that drop coverage against Rudy Gobert and he's going to hit him with that mid-range and he's going to two-point him to death because they've worked at it. And I want to celebrate that. I want people to know these guys. And uh, so thank you for saying that. That means a great deal to me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I I, I use the Chris Paul example because that was one of the things that you had, uh, I think, very purposefully brought up um, in the second half of of the game earlier um, because... I think if the game is playing in the background, and especially here in the Philippines, the games take place in the morning um, over lunchtime. We were watching it in the office of producers who were listening in on this call. I left them. I was at the office with them half an hour ago and just moved here to the studio to do this. 
the the game is literally in the background unfortunately you're doing something else and when chris paul keeps getting to that spot keeps hitting that that jumper that you know it's not a it's not a 360 windmill it's not a nope. half court bomb um right. it, it it's easy to look past it it's easy to take it for granted but when you in in a way that you and very very few others can drive the importance of that and drive how much that play is making up what will be the results of this game and you know in a larger picture this playoff push it kind of makes you appreciate like oh yeah no chris paul's been doing this for years um for years he did this to Andrew Bynum for, you know, and, you know, back in New That's Orleans. And all of those memories just kept coming back to me. And it now, if you're a Chris Paul appreciator, which you should be, it now kind of in that moment feels like not just one jumper, but a thousand of all these That's Chris right. Paul jumpers that he's hit over the years. That's such yeah, a difficult and thing and to think do. about. Yeah, and think about, like, people have been critical of him, right, this year. They're like, oh, you know, he's about to turn 38. And, you know, they're not – they've taken the ball out of his hands a little bit more. And, uh, you know, he's he's struggling to make shots. and He's not healthy and his body's not going to – and it's just the drumbeat of boom, 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 negative, negative, negative. Well, there's still plenty of game left. And now the load is lighter the, – the load is a lot lighter because Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are – those two guys, they are him, as the people like to say now, <laughs> right? They are him. Um, so, you know, and 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 I, again, you know, some of this is, I don't know whether you'd consider a personal bias. I called Chris Paul's first game at the time I was covering college basketball. So he's a freshman at Wake Forest, and they're in a monumental tournament at Madison Square Garden. It was either the coaches versus cancer or Jimmy V. And I meet Chris for the first time. And I tell the story of um, when he plays his last game in high school, his, his grandfather had been mm. shot and killed. And he goes for whatever age his grandfather was, and I cannot remember, but he scores that amount. Might have been 53. His grandfather was young. Might have been whatever it was. And he checks himself out of the game. Misses the free throw. Yeah, as an 18-year-old kid. See, this is what I'm talking about, your passion and knowledge. Are you freaking kidding me that you just pulled out that he missed a free throw and checked himself out? <laughs> I am scared of you. I am really, that is fabulous. And I appreciate, and I can tell it in the first five minutes, that you've kind of done your homework because all the antidotes you have on me, big fella, I'm scared of you. <laughs> no, I am. Um... I, I, the, Cassidy had brought this up on that same Boston trip. She was like, hey, uh, why didn't you say hi? Because up until that point, we had been speaking online but had never met each other. Finally, we met each other in Utah for All-Star Weekend. Uh, yeah. and she was like, hey, why, do you, why didn't you say hi? And I was like, well, you were baseline. I was three rows back in the crowd. I was a I was a registered um, media member for that game, but there's there's levels obviously to to media sure. access, especially for the finals, which is completely understandable. And I was like, you were either on camera or getting ready to go on camera. I'm not gonna be waving from third row, going, "Hey, Cassidy, I'm your online buddy." And then she's <laughs> like, "You're right." I would have probably thought you were a stalker. And I was like, see, there's a fine line between being well-researched and a stalker. And I always like to be on this side of the line where I'm, I'm still considered well-researched. But yeah, no, right. it's, it's dangerously thin. Okay. So just because you brought this up, tonight there is a fan. And at halftime, 
this guy taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, you, this guy wants a picture with you. Now, that's a tough spot for me because mm -hmm. I'd love to take a picture with the guy, but I'd rather do it post game. But I'm like, oh, you know, there's a couple minutes. Well, the guy can't get his camera writing. And now, oh, no. I'm, now I put my headset back on. I'm trying to get the replays and the traffic coming back at a break. And this guy is like making me take a picture. I'm going, all right, this poor man. I like, I, I couldn't be mean, but I thought, dude, I'm trying to do my job. And all she want to do is take a picture. And it's like the last thing I should be doing right now. So I, I, uh, so can, I can, can, can I confess? Can I confess yeah. about the moment that I came up to you post game after game four of the finals last year? Yeah. Um, first of all, you were arranging your things, fixing your things, speaking to your colleagues and stuff like that. I was about maybe 10 rows back. The arena was emptying. I could feel the stare of a security guard at me, wanting me to leave already, trying to see from afar what my media badge said to see if I could be there or not. Um, I was there with two other colleagues. One I flew with. The other one is a former colleague in the Philippines who now um, covers the Knicks. He, he lives in New York. So we were rolling together as a three-person team. And I was nervous out of my mind. And they knew that I'd, I, I looked up to you so greatly. So they were, they were my boys. They were like, you know, they were pumping me up. They're like, you can do it, bro. You can do it. Just <laughs> go up to her, introduce yourself. And then I was like, I know that with my luck, I'm going to pull out my phone, mistype my passcode, have to do it again. The face ID thing is not going to work. Um, or it's, you know, it's, it's going to glitch or something like that. So when I came up to you, I kid you not, three cameras were operating at that time between my two friends just to make sure. I was like, guys, I have terrible luck with this. I don't want to be that guy who asks for a photo and then can't get his camera to work. So there is like full coverage oh, of you and I meeting from my two friends. We did. There's like 17 of them. Um, <laughs> it's different angles. And my oh, wife, because the only person who's a bigger fan of you than myself or Cassidy Hubbard is my wife, Bea. Oh. And, and she has been hounding me to the day about, hey, how come you didn't post your Doris Burke photo? How come you post your Doris Burke photo? Such a great photo. Post your Doris Burke photo. And I was like, I'm believing that she's going to come on my podcast. And I'll post it when she's on. Oh. Um, and, oh, and this. And, and, and this is now 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 full circle. So I'm, I'm I'm very happy. I'm very happy that I have 17 different angles of that <laughs> two minute hey, encounter listen, that we I'm had. A, I'm a 57 year old woman with some wrinkles. I'm not sure. I'm thrilled you've got 17 angles. <laughs> oh no, you don't. You, you 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 don't have a bad one. Not a single one. Hey, taking a quick break to remind you guys that uh, this episode is presented by Slam Philippines and Titan. Make sure that you're following at SlamOnlinePH and at Titan underscore 22 on Instagram. Um, we are giving away... We are giving away a couple of pairs on this episode of the LeBron 20 as our dedication to celebrating uh, and enjoying and hopefully allowing you guys to celebrate, enjoy, and most importantly, play with the revolutionary brand new uh, LeBron 20s. So we're giving out a pair as each colorway releases on Titan. Um, now that the podcast is back, the giveaway is back as well. So follow at Titan underscore 22 and at Slam Online PH, not to mention at Call to Arms Pod uh, on social media to find out how you can do it.
back to Miss Doris Burke. Uh, I, okay, I, I wanted to talk um, since we're since we're nerding out about hoops already, and I'm having the time of my life to be honest. Sometimes there's conversation that leans towards the doom and gloom of where basketball is headed, or maybe where yeah. basketball is already. Um, I, I don't think it's controversial. I don't think it's offensive to say that how it's played now, you compare it to 10 years ago, uh, maybe even less. It's almost a, a completely different game, which is why, you yeah. know, and I've heard you say this on the air before, comparing eras is essentially a zero-sum game because, like, how? Um, but you are someone who uh, is a great fan of how the game is played now without discounting how it was played before. Um, mm. is, is that something that came very easily to you? I don't think that it would, you know, I don't think that it, it would be, be a weird thing to say if someone said, oh, I had to learn how to love all these threes and all, yeah, you know, sure. uh, and the different offense and different defenses uh, schemes mm -hmm. that, that are being played now compared to how I liked it in you yeah. know, the mid 2000s and things like that. Sure. Was the evolution of appreciation? Uh, did it something? Did it come easily to you? Yeah, I mean, it's, first of all, there's a part of me that feels Nico almost like I'm always playing catch up with the NBA. Mm. And 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 what I mean by that is, um, and remember, when I started covering the NBA, I was covering men's and women's college basketball, and what always amazed me about the differences in those three sports was the speed with which they operated. So sometimes I'd come off either a men's or women's college game and, and I might've called that on a Wednesday and on a Friday I had to call an NBA game. And I'll tell you what, the first five minutes of that NBA game, the pace and speed, it was going so fast that I would be looking at my partner like, oh my God, I gotta catch up. Mm. And then the other thing is like the evolution of the league. So, you know, and I, the, the evolution comes because the league is paying attention to what does the fan want. So in the 90s, right, my image of the 90s are the brawls, <laughs> the hand-to-hand -hand combat that was the New York Knicks versus the Miami Heat. Um, and, you know, I think David Stern sat in his office and said, this isn't pretty. This is not aesthetically pleasing to the fans at home. While you might appreciate defense and tough and grind it out, and I love the era because the Knicks were good and they were my team. Um, and so I guess it's been a natural progression. And one thing that disturbs me, and disturb may be too strong a word, I just don't like this This there's a level of discourse that borders on the nasty where you get, you know, some th people from this era or even the modern era and they're taking shots at one another. Mm. Like just respect and appreciate that you were functioning at a different point in history and the game looked different. The emphasis was different. You know, centers were straight back to the basket and, you know, that was their job. There was, you know, a level of physicality down there. I don't know. I listen, stylistically, I like a fast paced, free flowing, open floor um, transition game. I like that because that's what I was good at. 
Um, but I love watching Stephen Curry play. The constant movement, the evolution of his body, the absolute revolution of the sport to changing the very definition of what is a good shot, what's an acceptable shot. I guess I can just appreciate the different eras mm. and know that none of them were probably perfect. Um, but but I guess they suited the need at the time. I, I don't know. I, I, I one, one thing I would like to see less of is some of the, the angry discourse, like appreciate the era for what it was. And I just, I can't compare. I, I don't have as long a view of history as say Jeff Van Gundy. Um, I, I, I didn't see Wilt play. I didn't see Bill Russell play. And so I don't have that history in, in me. And the funny thing about it is, this is going to come out of left field, but this is the best comparison that I can come up with. So apologies. My sister-in-law, I make fun of her a lot because she's a, she's a massive Star Wars fan. She loves her sci-fi, right? Yeah. She reads all of the canon off canon Star Wars books and things like that. Yeah. She can, she can like identify her like a robot and I'm like, Oh, okay, whatever. But she's yeah. part of this. She's part of this online group that's called the non-toxic Star Wars fan club. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And any discourse that they have online is not allowed to be toxic. Now there are people there with toxic opinions or critical opinions of the Star Wars franchise, but they take it to other groups. They just right. go on to that group and they just love it. And at yeah. first, I found it to be the most hilarious thing because I'm a big brother. You have big brothers. I have to tease her about it. And then I actually sat and thought about it for like a good hour one night. And I was like, hey, what's it going to take for me to start a non-toxic NBA fan club online? <laughs> because those yes. are the people, I just want to speak to those people. Right, right. And I, I, you know, first, this, I'm going to just go to a broader point, and this will be out of left field. I am guilty of this. You know, I have my own political views, my beliefs, and, and too often I do not spend enough time listening because mm. I believe so deeply in my my positions and the way I think when when really I sometimes and I've said this sometimes I just need to shut my mouth and listen be a better listener and um, I don't know sports for me has always been like I told you I it provided an education I would have never been able to afford I was not a very confident kid but I was confident when I stepped between the lines so for me, the sport has always been this safe space, this place I went to to feel good about myself or, you know, to just get away from everything else. And so I don't like it when it's something else, when it becomes something other. The, the one thing that I am so, so, so grateful for, and I wish that more fans here in the Philippines will be able to experience. And with the globalization of the NBA, I'm very, very optimistic that uh, the Rockets playing the Pacers w is not going to be the last uh, preseason game that happens here in the Philippines or exhibition game, right? But the one thing I'm super grateful for is I've had, I've been blessed with many opportunities to watch the NBA live and see NBA players as as close as in, you know, as in person can get you. Um, because it really really change. and I and I say that specifically not just to Filipinos but to other international fans who maybe haven't had the pleasure and the privilege to watch an NBA game live 
Sure. It's it's completely different. Um, oh. Someone, a, a, a coach once told me, a coach once told me <laughs> that in the NBA, when you watch live, what you realize is there's no such thing as an uncontested three. Yeah. Like it, on TV, it looks open, um, but live, you can tell how it was inches away from being blocked. Uh, he, yeah. he said that, he said that to me while we were watching an actual NBA game live. And he's like, go rewatch it tonight when you get back to the hotel. And that's exactly what I did. And I was like, he's right. On TV, it looks like he had all day to shoot and the closeout was yeah. nowhere near in time. But yeah. I remember seeing that exact corner three-pointer and the guy was right there. And to hit 40% from there is insane. And to ask yeah. for a higher volume of those shots and deliver yeah. higher accuracy, like, hands up. Like, it's 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 just an incredible human feat. Um, and, and we're so blessed to be able to to watch the, the NBA. Um, and, you know, I think that, I think that conversations like like these, um, I know that a lot of our listeners r- really appreciate it because it it really, it really, it really validates us. It really allows us to be seen by you know uh, when, when we hear someone like you speak about how much you're still at the end of the day a giant fan of the NBA just like us. Yeah, yeah, my fan. It's a bit. It's big, and I couldn't agree more on seeing stuff live. And I say this all the time, like. I'm, when I call a game, I am picking up cues from absolutely everywhere. In the pandemic, we had the year where we had to call games from our basements. Mm. And I wasn't in the arena. I'm big on body language. What What is a player's body language? What message is with that, with this body language, is the player, um, you know, sending to his teammates, to his opponent? You know, how is he interacting with his head coach? You know, there's so many things you see live um that in arena that is just it makes such a significant difference there's no doubt and 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 while i can't take um many if not even one of my listeners to an nba arena tomorrow to watch a game having you uh here on this podcast it really allows us to take one step closer uh and take a little peek behind the scenes of of nba basketball which is which is why I really appreciate you being here. I know it's late over there, but I just have a couple of things that I would never forgive myself if I didn't ask you. So uh, I hope you'll indulge me. Um, one, the Drake shirt. Have you been paid royalties for that? Because um, <laughs> I see everyone wearing it. And I know Drake said he had it specially made. But guess yeah. what? There's thousands of them out there in the <laughs> wild. And I'm just wondering if you got your NIL deal in order. No and no NIL deal, but I will say that shirt that you have on. Um, yes, <laughs> uh, the people who decided to put that sh- that together, but not the picture that Drake had. Um, that I get a little bit of something back off of. <laughs> hey, sh- shout out to the team over at. Uh, this is an homage shirt, right? Homage, yeah. That's that's the I, yeah. that's so, the company. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I ordered it like this took like a month to get here. I thought it was lost in the mail. I ordered an XL for me and a size small for my wife. Um, I just, as, as proud I am uh, to own it, though, I always make sure that when mine's clean, I hide my wife's. And when hers is clean, I hide mine because she has evil play. intentions of us wearing it out in public together. No, 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 that can't happen. No, thank way. you. No. Thank you. I was like, as much as we both love Doris, it's not the shirt. It's any shirt. 
it's any That's shit. Like, exactly we're, right. like we're Asian. That's we're a- not that Asian. We're not. We're not wearing the same thing. Um, <laughs> uh, n- next bit. Um, when when you when you are out there and you know you're you're in you're in a groove and and you're and you're in a rhythm, right? And and you're locked in on on what's happening in the game. Do you recall um, any situation where? Because the NBA attracts like the world's biggest celebrities, right? Um, and you know whether it's Drake who has your face uh, on on his shirt, or you know, pick pick a Laker game uh, and pick an Oscar winner uh, there there, or some other elite athlete from anywhere. Have you ever been doing a game, been so into it, and be like, is that is that's Beyonce? Because I think that that's such a challenging part of your job that I don't think enough people talk about. Oh, that's hysterical. I'll tell you a moment I I distinctly remember. Um, I'm sidelined on the number one team. And Jeff, Mark, and Mike, who I believe um, for such a long stretch of their, their careers was like the best broadcast team, regardless of sport. But there was a game where... Um, Rihanna came in and it's like a playoff game. Like it's got major implications, but Rihanna walks in front of the broadcast booth and I'm directly opposite at this particular arena. I'm directly opposite where the guys are. And I can literally see Jeff (laughs) reacting to Rihanna and Mark and Mike pick up on it. And Mike says something and I don't remember the conversation, but I'm telling you, I'm, dying laughing because Jeff ain't going to be lost his composure as Rihanna went walking by. I think it, you could probably find the moment on YouTube. It was absolutely hysterical. I know exactly uh, that clip that you're talking about because um, I, yes, I've seen that clip and also can't blame him. Can't yeah, blame him. Right. <laughs> it's not, right. it's not just because it's a, it's a global yeah. superstar. Yeah. It's also because she was rolling like 10 people deep. Like, oh, big time. Big any, time. Anyone, two bodyguards walk by. It's just human instinct to take a look back and be like, is the president here? Because, yeah, oh, right. oh, no, sorry. The queen of the universe. Just the queen of the universe. All right. <laughs> not the president. Exactly right. uh, but, I mean, I, I was, I, to this day, when I think about it, it still makes me smile and laugh and just too great. I, I, I ask that because um, especially if it's the L.A. or New York games and they do the celebrities present um, yeah. type yeah. of uh, thing on the on the Jumbotron. And it's always so amazing because you're like the best athletes on the world are on the court playing. And where else are you going to see Denzel, Leo, Michael? I don't know. Maybe these people hang out uh, in in private. We don't know. Like I don't hang out right. with them. Like Michael right. B. Jordan and Serena Williams. They're all just there, just like eating popcorn. Uh, and, yeah. and, and and in, and in the meantime, especially back when you were doing sideline, you have to just go and run around and kind of like you know, oh, yeah. I- ignore the fact that they're that they're walking in because hey, look, the the Lakers just got into the bonus. <laughs> like in the middle remember- of the second quarter. I- one time I was supposed to, I was told by my boss, you know, you have to interview Denzel. He's got a movie coming out. We're promoing it. And as part of this, you're going to interview him in game. Well, I do my due diligence 
and I'm, you know, it's behind the, the front row, the courtside row. And I, I like say, you know, uh, Denzel, my name is Doris. And, you know, we got to do an interview. I swear he didn't even speak a word. He, with one look, basically made it clear. I'm not speaking to you now. <laughs> and the interview didn't happen. I just said, hey, boss. Uh, the boss actually happened to be the producer as well. I said, hey, this isn't happening. I don't know if you were told this is happening, but I'm telling you right now. Mr. Washington is not in- interested in me interviewing right right at this moment. Oh, too funny. You 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 should have said, um, yeah, no, I don't have Denzel right now. I have Training Day Denzel right that's now. Right. So, um, no, unless perfect. I want to be playing basketball in Pelican Bay. Yes, right. King Kong, King Kong yeah. said no. So, uh, yeah, maybe not. Um, Doris, I've abused, um, you know, and overextended and overstayed my welcome. Uh, You had just come off of of working a playoff atmosphere game. um, And that's what I want to that's what I want to end with is the the rest of this upcoming season. I think that you guys were touching on it a little bit and I want to put words in your mouth. So please, by all means, correct me if I, if I misconstrue what you, what you and, and, and the great day patch were talking about earlier. Um, but the play in tournament, its existence has provided us a whole lot more exciting playoff level end of regular season games for teams that prior to the play in being established, maybe could have just mailed it in. Um, rested their stars or, you know, kind of focused on that draft pick. But you kind of get a free draft pick and a free entry into the playoffs, uh, a chance at the playoffs, regardless of how you look at it, because they equalize the percentage chance for for the lottery ball. But at the same time, hey, you get into that top 10, not all is lost for you. Get a couple of big wins. And that's what you were in earlier with Phoenix, yeah. Um, trying to secure the fourth seed, not to mention bring this guy Kevin Durant back. Um, by yeah. the way, not a great shooting night by him. Shame, no. shame, on, shame on KD, Sh- man. Work on your shot, KD. Shame yeah. on him. <laughs> um, but, but this is a this is a unique NBA season, especially out west. Um, in, in terms of who might come out of it. Now, I'm not going to be the guy to put you on the spot and ask you to pick who's coming out of it. Um, but I am flying to wherever game one and game two of the finals are, I think. Um, I'll look forward to seeing you then. So, so one, we'll be wearing this shirt. I'll be the guy wearing this shirt, uh, embarrassing <laughs> you in the middle of the arena. Um, and, and, and two, what, what is your outlook, I guess, on these upcoming playoffs and, and the playing tournament? Um, you know, without having to pick teams, of course, necessarily, yeah. but just the level of play, how, yeah. how, how exciting this is going to be for a lot of the fans who are listening right now. Well, and I, you know, I think this is, you said it, this has been an exceptional or an extraordinary year, whatever word you just termed it. It was, it's so accurate because never before has the distance between four and 10 or four and 12 been so close where on a nightly basis, you are having, you know, reordering of the, um, of the the standing. So for instance, tonight in the broadcast, we talked about in the last eight days, I believe it is, Minnesota has has occupied anywhere between uh, 10th and 
sixth or fourth. So they were so high. And I thought, oh, my God, that's impossible. <laughs> but it's not. That's how close the standings are. Dave was having to go to like the third tiebreaker when he was talking about all the machinations. I heard that. Yeah. So I just, I mean, um, the team I think is going to win it all. I'll, I'll put it out there, and it's not a surprise. I think Milwaukee is going to win it. I, I do. Um, I think Boston's got something going on there. I'm not exactly sure what, but the fact that they would lose to Washington, um, you know, right before playing a Milwaukee team that they could beat and, you know, have a chance to, to finish first. The West is very difficult for me to pick. The West right now feels like the team that's best able to conjure in the final few weeks what Golden State did last year, which is capture your best play at the exact right moment. And health. And health, yeah. yeah. And health, big time. That's a good point. Yeah. Because look at Joel Embiid tonight. He scrapped and clawed, but he didn't look healthy playing. Yeah, and you know, and the you can change style of play. You can even change rules. You can even change how you feel about uh, about like the the short corner jump shot, which used to be the most popular shot in all of basketball. Uh, to now, what is like if you take that shot at any level of basketball right now you're riding the bench right next to me uh, yeah. you, you could you could change all of these things about how basketball is played the one thing about the nba that has stood the test of time is that health is not guaranteed but yeah. if you manage if you manage especially now when the team is the teams are most talented than ever if you manage a healthy four or five week stretch at the right. right four or five weeks, then right. hey, just look at last year's Warriors rings, and that's anything. That's everything you need to learn. Yeah, that's a great point. I just end with this, like Chris Paul. So I was looking over my notes from past years, and I had written down all the freak injuries he's had: mm. the wrist, the hamstring, shoulder, right, the shoulder. This is what I'm talking about. You know it all, man. You're scaring. <laughs> I try my best. I try my yeah, best. You're scaring me. This this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Doris, you are a one of one. Uh, NBA basketball is what it is because of the athletes. But enjoying and appreciating and learning NBA basketball um, is as enjoyable as it is because of the work that you put in and the joy that you put into that work. And we are all, all lucky and fortunate for it. Thank you very much for taking the time. Yeah, no, my pleasure. That's the pod, folks. What a way to come back for us, huh? I'm not one to compliment myself, but what a way to come back for us. We got the goat on the pod. Thank you so much to the one and only Miss Doris Burke. Uh, that was that was the time of my life. Thank you to Cassidy Hubbard for helping make that interview possible. Um, don't forget to follow at SlamOnlinePH, at Titan underscore 22, at Cult Arms Pod to find out how you could be the winner of the LeBron 20s, the Titan and Slam, are giving away through the Call to Arms pod. And keep it here with us, man. Stay with us. Subscribe, follow, share. The pod is back. The pod is back. Tell all the worms. The pod is back. Who are we going to have next week? Stick around. Find out. 
You guys have been awesome. Bye-bye. I want a million lives. I want a billion profits when all that I got is a villainous mind. I keep a real in the pocket while you hear the venomous lies. I do not speak like a prophet because I got a million styles. Let's see what's really inside. Pulling over in the whip. Flying out another trip.